This time on Those Conspiracy Guys, it's the story of the man whose new take on the oldest tale ever told has helped start an astronomical search for the truth of our origins. Zachariah Sitchin, with his novel series The Earth Chronicles, is possibly the most famous exponent of the ancient alien astronaut ancestors theory. His works and research have been adapted by many who support this claim as a definitive work on the subject of genetic manipulation and the intelligent design of our species. He is joined by a famous cast of supporters in his claims of a purposely hidden or accidentally misinterpreted history of our planet, stretching back half a million years, but has equally strong opposition for his DIY archaeological methods and questionable credentials. Nibiru, Anunnaki, ancient aliens, these are all hugely popular terms in the conspiracy canon that are now synonymous with the name Zechariah Sitchin, but could we all be suffering the folly of modern media manipulation of genuine historical evidence? Can Zechariah Sitchin be trusted to give us an accurate interpretation of those rare and mysterious texts? Have all the stories of Nibiru and the Anunnaki come from one man's personal narrative of the belief system of an ancient culture? Or could Zechariah Sitchin and other so-called pseudo-scientists be examining existing artefacts with a modern perspective? Ignored by the narrow view of mainstream scholars, archaeologists and anthropologists. In this episode, we take a stroll through the cradle of civilization with the man who sought to rewrite the history books. This time on Those Conspiracy Guys, Zachariah Sitchin. Welcome, welcome, fellow space travellers. This time on Those Conspiracy Guys, we're talking about Zechariah Sitchin, one of the most famous ancient archaeologists. Hmm. He wowed me many, many years ago, wowed me with his uh, interpretations of these ancient Sumerian tablets that were found and, and mm-hmm. you know, his theories on the creation of Earth and the ancestry of humans like it was really really interesting to me as a young guy i'd still say this is this you, is one of the you... big stories this is if, if anyone out there has ever seen ancient aliens uh the discovery channel series yeah you'll know the guy with the hair the crazy meme guy yeah george is just that's pretty racist though to mispronounce his name i think but he's greek and he has crazy hair how do you mispronounce it oh sorry <laughs> so anyway, um you're probably familiar with this idea, the idea of ancient aliens, the idea that something in our history uh, can explain that kind of leap of evolution that we made, that that leap of evolving our brain, of our minds, and becoming the most dominant species on the planet in a, in a short enough period of time, considering the three billion odd years that life's been evolving on this planet, uh, and the amount of time we spent either in water or hanging out of trees or something like that. Yeah, or sitting around with our hands on our dicks. Yeah, it's the same thing that Watching a lot of... TV. Yeah, a lot of religious people, a lot of uh, you know Christians and Mormons and whatnot will tell you there's intelligent design in the human body. Mm. That there's there's too many well-designed parts of the human body. There's too many streamlined parts in the brain and the, the optic nerves and the well, ears. Not even just the human body. Do you know the Fibonacci sequence can be seen in nature? Uh, there's the famous seashell or uh, conch shell measurements graph that you can get online, and it has like the, this 
golden ratio of sizes that can be found in flower petals it can be found all over the human kind body an algorithm for like, yeah, yeah, size growth a mat- mm-hmm. mathematical chart for beauty that mm-hmm. has been done there was a documentary uh, with John Cleese and Elizabeth Hurley years ago uh, on the nature of beauty and these measurements that are universal across all people you know like there there is somebody designing it and you know fundamentalist Christians that have you believe that it's the big man with it's the, the white beard man. and the robe and it's the sandals. All that stuff. They'd also have saying, "Marry, marry everyone you can." Yeah, don't don't stick your willy up another man's bum for God's sake. For God's <laughs> sake, <laughs> no. But uh, they'd also have you believe that dinosaurs were put here as a test of our faith. So I mean, mm. we're not bashing any Christians out there, but we're just saying yeah. this is going to be an alternative view as to how the world was born. Yeah. The point being, nobody's ideas are all crazy. See, this shit is pretty crazy, though, Paul. This is some pretty crazy shit. Pretty crazy, crazy shit. But as you said, when you first hear it, as you first heard it as a young man, it, it yeah, speaks well, to you. It connects to something inside yourself. It spoke to me because I really wanted to feel like I was part of something more than just some, you know, hash smoke, ex-works jeans dream that people yeah. had. Like, you know, get an undercut and wear some black and white combat pants and feel like you belong to something. Yeah pick up a guitar and learn how to play a Pearl Jam song and people will love you. Yeah. But there's something else going on. Do you know yeah. what I mean? There's a bigger thing outside of yourself. Yeah. That's part of a huge machine that's been going on for millions of years. Some people call it evolution. Some people call it... The game. The, yeah, the Anun- like the Matrix, the Anunnaki design yeah. for our destiny. Do you know what I mean? That maybe... I always felt like we were on a petri dish in an experiment. I always felt that we were being watched. I would aliens. share a certain similar feeling that, in many ways, we're like a giant Truman show for the for the yeah. the higher species of the galaxy, the 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 universal federation is I, looking I, over us. I feel that like, that we're not quite ready yet. I, I, but it's it's part of that narcissistic human condition that you feel. M- more special than, yeah. than what you are. Whereas, the centre of the show. Yeah, some, some you know, philosophical epithets would have you believe that you were a grain of sand on a beach, like some some kind of inconsequential, tiny, mm. you know, like Tommy Tiernan said, like a phlegm on your brother's jacket, you know, like you're you're nothing. And that should give you peace. Yeah. To me, that scares the shit out of me. Oh, I'm quite the opposite on that. At the same time giving me peace, but going like, oh, fuck, I'm totally unimportant. Yeah, and anything I ever do or or will do or won't do is meaningless. Yeah. That gives me confidence to succeed in almost everything I try by thinking anything's a success in this. Well, it gives me confidence to be able to talk into a microphone and then put that information out onto the internet and have people spend their, you know, (laughs) well-earned resting time with my voice flying into their ear holes saying crazy shit <laughs> and, and speaking of crazy uh, shit there is no crazier or more intriguing than the idea of the ancient alien ancestors the well, idea of our creators over the last not being over the God. last number of years there has been a massive interest in uh and a lot of evidence with the advent of you know massive internet media splurges people making like people who shouldn't really be making media are, yeah. are making three hour are, documentaries on YouTube documentaries yeah about shit they really that's like fourth fifth hand information like mm. stuff that's really not poorly researched and terribly and, terribly delivered yeah I mean yeah. shockingly background music tracked yeah we we I don't are we guilty of that 
No, we always try to alert people when we're going to put up a source video with shocking backing music. We always tell them it's going to be shocking backing music. I think our backing music is okay. Our facts may... Oh, our backing music is superb. No, I just mean some of the source videos we put up have shocking backing music or are shockingly narrated. But we always notify the listener that that's what they're going to be hearing. Yeah, always question your sources, kids. Always question your sources. Or if the source is completely inaudible, just turn it off. Yeah, audio is the best, is the most important part Mm -hmm. of, of any of that stuff. You can watch a shitty picture, but if it's got... You know, some weird home, like Buddhist monk hum over some guy talking in a, in a computer voice. You just, you can switch it off, you know. Yeah. You really can. You just don't want your roommates hearing that. <laughs> yeah. so, your room. This this Anunnaki, this Nibiru. Mm. These been, are terms I'm sure you've heard. Nibiru Planet X. Over us. The idea of so, the rogue planet of the crossing that comes through our solar system. The Anunnaki, the idea, the Nephilim, the idea of, of uh, these... Giant overlords and aliens, yeah, that, that sired us, yeah, that, that genetically and, engineered us to be their slaves, yeah, at the same time enslaved and freed and and created us, yeah, our, our everything really, our, our tormentors and our creators and our, our protectors, our gods through many different religious constructs, okay. through many different incarnations of civilization. Mayans, Incans, Sumerians, Babylonians, Greeks, Romans, Greeks, Egyptians. Romans definitely Egyptians. Mm-hmm. We all learned about that in school in Ireland where, you know, the different gods for the different things and the different religious uh, rituals and stuff that they did around burial and death. And, you know, it was all very regimented and completely alien, if you excuse the term, to mm-hmm. us. We're growing up like Roman Catholics, you know, where you're supposed to believe in in a Jesus that, like, you know, changed water to wine and, mm-hmm. like, transubstantiated you know, some 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 water at somebody's wedding because everyone was looking for a sup of wine, like, yeah. or he was able to go like, "Who hasn't got sandwiches? Who hasn't got <laughs> sandwiches? Put up your hand!" And there's five thousand sandwiches went out. Yeah, do you know what I mean? He was the right lad to have at a party. The Jesus at one point depicted as a helpless child, and other times in the same week depicted as a, a swarthy, well cut, uh, hard living Jesus, thirty year old man. Yeah, I mean, it's how you interpret the. Source material. Mm-hmm. This is this is what this episode is about. Mm-hmm. This man, Zechariah Sitchin, who I discovered many, many years ago, when YouTube was out first, before even YouTube, like Daily Motion and uh, uh, E-Bombs World was mm-hmm. out. And there was videos down, d- downloadable and watchable uh, movies through torrents and stuff in the early part of the 21st yeah. century. We were all e-donkeying or, yeah. or ED2K or... and that motherfucker, yeah. P2P and that shit all over the place, sharing it with whoever could be. Shared, could your, be shared. Your peers, yeah. And I, I was getting this stuff and I was I was eating it up. Mm. Eating it up. And loving a bit of Zechariah Sitchin. But in my specific investigation into his background, into his validity and his credibility, I've kind of been... I've kind of been a little bit, you know... Disenchanted. Yeah, disenchanted and, and, and kind of moved off my steadfast stance on his... You think he might possibly be full of Sitchin? <laughs> I'm I'm saying that it, it, these ancient aliens is pop, possibly my favorite part of all of this conspiracy stuff. Yeah. This, the I, I, I would story, go in with you on that. Yeah, I, mine I'm, too. I'm fully on board yeah. with there being, you know, a greater plan. Mm. Fully on board with there being some kind of intelligent design going on with regards to our origins as a species, as yeah. human beings. You'll remember from our mermaids episode, which we managed to turn into a talk about you know the evolution of man and aquatic ape theory and stuff like that like i'm 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 a big big supporter of this 
yeah, Prometheus, the idea that, that Prometheus and Bob, you know, coming down and hand in man fire and the ability to 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 farm and, and agriculture and, yeah, and raise animals and to stuff clothe like themselves to be civilized to yeah. create humanity and, and culture and society. Not that they don't have faith in humans to be able to do that themselves, but mm-hmm. the teachings and the, and the writings and findings of Zechariah Sitchin give a really lovely little narrative. Yeah. Give a lovely little, here's a lovely story where it's all wrapped up and it has like a history and a backstory. And that idea that so we're not we're not still waiting for the aliens to arrive or they're not still standing at a, an arm's length just observing, but they've been here all along and have been an integral part of our existence. Yeah. It, That's it an seems, exciting thought. It's, it very, it's, like a, it's a really exciting idea. It's not like a second coming as much as a, I'm already here. Mm. I'm inside you. Or perhaps they're the original native Terrans and, and we're on their world. Yeah, there's so many, so many yeah, different there's, interpretations. There's so many uh, variations in the interpretations. So let's, well, let's talk about Zechariah Sitchin. Let's the jump man. straight into the man himself. Yeah, his 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 facts and figures. Let's look at. It. He was born in Azerbaijan, mm-hmm. which we all know very well. Um, former, former Soviet state. Former Soviet state, and so a, a tough place to live. Not not the easiest place to live. So as you imagine, in 1920, when he's born in Azerbaijan, he's going to move to somewhere a little easier to live, a little somewhere nicer to be. Where would you go? You'd go to the one place in the world where, where there's peace, there's love, there's harmony, and there's, there's shaking of hands. He moves to Palestine. All right. Yeah. So he goes to Palestine. Well, the shit wasn't so bad there in yeah. 1920. It was... Well, this is, this is mandated Palestine were... at this point. This is kind of British-ruled, mandated Palestine that he's Yeah, but of. the people who lived there were let live there, though. Oh, absolutely. They were yes. like, don't... They didn't have people shouting at them going, hey, go go back to where you don't come from. Yeah, they were being forced to move into there actually, and then and they weren't being hit with rockets every week. Yeah, you know, that there much. we go. Yeah, but uh, someone had to say it. But uh, so it was Zechariah Sitchin moved from Azerbaijan to Palestine moved, as a schoolboy. Yeah, uh, from from there uh, finishes high school, moves to the University of London where he gets his degree in economics. Okay, in, so uh, nothing to do with ancient aliens or archaeology or anthropology or economics. Well, actually, ancient economics. It was an ancient, yeah. Was he, it an ancient? Economics? Yes, he studied ancient economics. So he studied the, the like the abacus. Yeah, exactly. He studied how abacus work. Counting on your fingers. And after a, a kind of a really intensive four week course of learning how to use an abacus, he got his degree from the no, that's not true. He, uh, he got his degree in, in ancient economics from the University of London. So he, he was always interested in in the ancients and in how ancient civilizations work, ancient culture, and ancient history. Uh, and from there, from with with that degree in economics and ancient economics, he moved himself to Israel to become a journalist. In which it's a big jump, isn't it? Yeah, that's a, that's a big jump. And, and there, works as a journalist, works his way up to editor, uh, and seems pretty happy with life. And this is in the fifties well. in New York, right? This is this is still in Israel. He's he's, he's worked himself through in the early fifties to being an editor to a status position, and decides to uh, to up sticks and take his ideas, his newly burgeoning ideas, and move to New York City. Wow. Because this is where uh, he's, the, the, the streets are paved with gold. Exactly. Uh, steps down a bit from an editor of a newspaper, becomes a, a, a clerk at a shipping or, company. Or if you're a mouse, paved with cheese. Paved with delicious cheese if, you're, if your name's Fievel. But there in New York City is where he could really open up to the world about his ideas. Yeah. In a, in he'd have a, an audience. Free, maybe. Yeah, he'd have an audience. He'd, he's just about to hit into the beatnik scene, you know, these alternative community that's counterculture that's about to... Yeah. Rise up against this, you know, pick white picket fence, button down collar, America. Yeah, here's a, here's a a young Zechariah Sitchin landing into New York with a whole lot of open minds and open hearts with a mm-hmm. story to tell. And it's at this time that his his real work begins. His lifelong 
work begins. Smoking that weed. Smoking that weed Smoking daily that weed. and nightly. And, and in doing so, comes to the conclusion that there's something else out there. Yeah. That the, the Bible studies, the information I was taught in school about the Bible, about current understanding of world history, about world events, uh, historical events, and about religious knowledge is incorrect. It's all bunk. It's all bunk. Or that it's been misinterpreted yeah mistranslated yeah misread yeah and 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 mistheorized so if he's like born in azerbaijan mm-hmm. he's moving to palestine mm-hmm. then to israel mm-hmm. i presume he just he didn't move he just went wherever he was living just turned into israel is that what happened no, he moved to Israel. Took right. a job in Israel. Yeah, yeah I think back then it was probably just easier to cross the uh, Palestinian-Israel yeah, border. Palestinian, I don't know. Um, and and he obviously became fluent in and Hebrew, Hebrew and, and the writings of of that language, which was going to mm-hmm. help him later on. He well, he'd become a, fluent in modern Hebrew, I'm sure. But uh, he had a, he had an interest in ancient languages. And he did indeed. Yeah, and I, I, as we explained, he studied ancient economics in in the University of London, so he would have got some information there and some some ideas there and london is really or um new york is really where everything happened for him right. he was there in 1954 begins his work begins teaching himself how to read uh cuneiform begins teaching himself how to read ancient hebrew to right. translate it begins teaching himself how to read ancient greek and translate it just off his own bat yeah and there's where he stayed in new york city is where he released all his all his books all his novel series and this, this is his great works. He's a dank weed, man. He's learning all that shit for, and working a full-time job. Mm-hmm. He, he taught himself proficiency in astronomy also because obviously a big part of his, his theories is uh, movements in, in through our solar system. Of You know, that, that doesn't seem as unbelievable as my research on him would say it would be. Mm. Like, it's not as unbelievable. Like, if he was an autodidact, he just like stick his head down. He did nothing to do in the evening. He wasn't out like chasing pussy around New York or anything. Like he was at home being like, all right, let's get this cuneiform. Mm. Let's get it down. Like all the different forms of it. Let's yeah. get it ancient Sumerian, like tablets and, and, you know, photocopies or rubbings. And let's see. It's if not unbelievable. Like ancient Greek, you know, you can study that in the college course. Who's saying he wasn't doing that? Night yeah. Time? We all know people that, that have you know? taught themselves a, a certain, technique or a certain ability yeah, or certain like skill. Shit. We're making a podcast now. Like nobody, we, we nobody taught, taught us how to do this. We yeah. taught ourselves how to do that. It wasn't, you know, you look it up, you read some shit, and you, you know. Mm-hmm. Like this microphone had an on button on it and yeah, pressed it and the light to, came on. Just press it and that's yeah. the shit. But I'm saying like the way that people were badminton sitting online, hmm. they were kind of saying he gets like, a lot of slack that he's yeah. full of muck. Like hmm. they're saying that he's not able to do all this. Like I can see like they're saying it's impossible for him to be able to have done that. Yes. I'm saying it's not really. If it's he not has, impossible, no. He's an intelligent guy. Mm-hmm. He's, you know, he's been to college. He knows he's got how the to drive study. and the passion as you well. Like you're talking about the greatest mystery in the history of mankind. And you're talking about 20 years studying it before you release any information. Mm-hmm. So his first book was released when? In 1976. So he's he landed in New York in 1954 to begin yeah. work. He's landed in, in a shipping company. Mm-hmm. After studying ancient economic, obviously it wasn't an ancient shipping company. They're not. No, he's using modern economics in the shipping. Yeah, company. okay. That's more like in my country, I'm brain surgeon. In <laughs> yeah. this country, I clerk for shipping. Yeah, or I work in Centra. Yeah, which is more, <laughs> more like more likely here in Ireland. But uh, or anyone named Zachariah in Ireland. He, yeah, absolutely. He has twenty-two years to get his ancient Sumerian, his cuneiform, mm-hmm. get his ancient Greek. 
get his to get together his master manifesto. His, yeah, his, his his info that he needs to be able to release this yeah groundbreaking world change and his sources to back himself but, up. I mean, this isn't someone just writing a. a, a pure blue sky narrative yeah he's not making it up out of his arse like yeah he's, he's quoting sources he's quoting uh texts and and tablets that are out there and and new translations that he's doing that have been that have been out for nearly a hundred years yes to to quote the man himself uh as zachary Sitchin said all the information all the sources that he's given are academically scientifically scholarly known and accepted sources at no time did he invent his own sources? That's what he said. Yes. At no time did I invent my own sources. At no so time. Everything that he got was just an interpretation of an already existing mm-hmm. cuneiform text. He never faked up any tablets. He never faked up any any hieroglyphs. He never faked up any any papyrus. But he used his knowledge of ancient Greek, mm-hmm. of uh, ancient cuneiform writings and uh, history. To be able to make interpretations mm. of this already existing writing. So these tablets were found like a hundred years beforehand and had been translated. And there was already a meaning out there for them. But he just like had another go. Yeah, readdressed it. Just wasn't feeling wasn't feeling like, yeah, that pretty much says everything. Like he was just like, no, fuck this man. I want to have another go. I want to have another yeah, go. I'm going to have a second look at this. Have a nosy. These tablets have been around for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. They've not been translated or retranslated or readdressed that many times let's have a look see see if there's anything that anyone missed so i i would say that's that's a pretty it's a noble challenge like, absolutely to be able to look back over it seems the guy had a pretty cushy life in the middle east he'd, he'd set himself yeah. up that's where he was based that's where his home was his and family was to, to and decided to up sticks everything and, and move that's a big undertaking and start afresh and like, put everything he had into a novel that, for all he knew, was going to sink without a trace and, and have him laughed out of every scientific community in the world. But he, he wasn't a scientist as such, so he had nothing to lose, really. Mm-hmm. I mean, to be able to take something that was already established as fact and, like, it's a, you know, an artifact is there to prove, yeah, this mm-hmm. is the exact translation of this. There's a lot of different yeah. changes of global consciousness about these things that are now thought to be not fact do you know, like quantum physics is out there now. It's a reimagining of what physics is. Hmm. And traditional physics that we would have learned in school is based on like Newtonian 400-year-old facts that aren't necessarily applicable in the modern day. Like mm-hmm. they're changeable and, the, you know, the, the findings can be now with new information and new understandings of how this stuff works. Yeah, when we talk about like... Uh anti-gravity propulsion and zero-point energy, you're talking about completely rewriting the way we look at certain technologies and certain sciences. But it's due to small pieces of information that have come to light, like that have been searched for or that have been discovered accidentally since these since unchangeable, like, absolutes have been like written down as the pillars of this particular branch of science. Do you know? Or branch of whatever branch of history or branch of you know uh, uh, anthropology or whatever like you can't say something is absolute ever really mm-hmm. do you know you can't be 100% sure for shizzle for show this is the way it is and all not well time's still rolling on there we go and think, so, but I mean you're, at the same goal. time he's talking about rewriting half a million years of accepted human history 
Yeah. Which is a big, a big ask. Big ask. Whether you're right or wrong, it's a big ask to try and get that out. And he's done that with his Earth Chronicles novel series. Okay, so this, this is a is, massive series. This is the this is the series of books that he travelled across the world to promote. Mm-hmm. Like the message that's in these books. Like that's 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 huge. Mm-hmm. To be able to say like yeah, um the whole history of our planet <laughs> and our human species is actually wrong. Yeah. One motherfucker standing up. Yeah. And saying, this is actually what's happened. Normally, they kill people for doing this shit. Yeah, there's a slight kind of a Phelps family, Westboro Baptist Church kind of yeah. slant on it where he's saying, I think. Now, he was, he's not as, as vitriolic and as, as crude as they are, but he was basically saying, I have a feeling that everybody else is wrong. Every scholar, every lecturer, every student in every college learning it right now today is being taught incorrect information. He's got some big old Azerbaijani balls on him. He really does. A couple couple of brass clangers. Yeah. That's pretty serious. That's, it seems kind of, to rewrite history or to rewrite how humans came to be on the planet, it seems very L. Ron Hubbard-y. It seems very... It seems insane. It's the kind of thing that gets you labelled a wacko. Yeah. Like... The whole the whole thing is wrong, lads. Mm-hmm. Everything is wrong. Whatever you think, wrong. Yeah. You, like what, you're you're starting from the wrong starting point half a million years ago. Yeah. Therefore, everything after uh, in the last half million years has to be incorrect. Is what he's saying to the mainstream science and historical community. But since don't that, react brilliantly. Since 1976, there has been revelations in science, and certain breakthroughs, yeah, and breakthroughs that have proved that, yeah, all of those misapprehensions you were laboring under for a couple of hundred years of scientific history have been wrong here's where we should have started from and massive leaps in scientific discoveries have been made real over the last couple of years because of those revelations because of those exceptions by these scientists of like yeah okay we were wrong for so long swallow the pride fucking pick up sticks let's let's keep moving forward mm. so why don't you take us through this this narrative the story that's such an well Kind of eventually in, in his earth, in his earth chronicles, the first book, the twelfth planet, basically says that there is a planet on the outskirts of our solar system mm-hmm. that has a three thousand six hundred year orbit, mm-hmm. and this planet is called Nibiru, mm-hmm. and on that planet live a people called the Anunnaki. Well, that we call the Anunnaki. So, Ki is the word for Earth, and Anu is the godhead of that planet. So it's the those people of the Earth. People. So the Anu of Ki, right? Yeah, Nibiru is a big one, and it's a big one nowadays. There are like lo- when I was researching, there's loads of videos online, like twin suns. Mm. Like there's another sun coming up that Uranus and Neptune are being like jostled mm. out there. They in have space. a wobble, a gravitational there's wobble, a bit of a wobble going on. There's something big coming. Mm. Uh, this. You know, doomsday, apocalypse, tidal yeah. wave. And all the know. time NASA are sending new probes out into space to to look further afield than our known solar system. And NASA themselves stand on pretty infirm ground when it comes to this subject. They yeah. they accept the, the the very real possibility of a rogue planet yeah. that could cross through the centre of our solar system that's on a, a much longer elliptical orbit than all the other planets orbiting around our sun. By the same token, they also say that no under no circumstances can there be an extra planet that's about to come close to our one. But um, Sitchin's basic mainline beliefs are, are 
this, right? So the alternative Earth history, according mm-hmm. to Zechariah Sitchin, right? Let's drop back about half a million years. Yeah, we? we're going back 500,000 years, maybe, maybe a little bit sooner than that, right? So Sitchin is the lead researcher into the Anunnaki and the ancient aliens that created life on this planet, okay? So these Anunnaki came from Nibiru, and Nibiru's atmosphere was damaged, right? Okay. Their ozone layer as such. Mm-hmm. So they needed something to fix this ozone layer. And the only thing that they could get to fix it was to make a thin layer of gold around their atmosphere. And where are they going to get that gold? On Earth. And whereabouts on Earth are they going to get it? In Africa, right? So there's a load of godheads and a load of really weird names. We're going to go into them heavily in our Nibiru episode. But we're going to... We're so going we're talking to about a golden planet here. here. Are we talking it's, about a uh, planet encased in gold? <laughs> something like that. Ooh. I don't really understand the science of it. I don't either. I yeah, something... They, I can't they, get... I haven't read like gold or, or cover to cover. Gold so. filaments in their, in yeah. their atmosphere they, 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 reflects... They, they turn the gold into dust and then they shoot that into the atmosphere and it's able to like plug the hole and protect mm. their their planet. At the moment, their planet has like massive amounts of radiation, which means that it glows, which is giving us this illusion of a, like a second sun or another light source uh, that we can see with the naked eye. Uh, there's, there's videos online if you look it up, Nibiru second sun mm. in YouTube. So for- I've also, but I've also seen the idea that they they take this monatomic gold yeah. and they inject it into themselves or they take it into themselves because it boosts their higher brain functions. They, there's so much stuff mm. out there. You don't know what is really like in the text or not in the text. What's officially accepted. What's, what's been not. added as, as a... Like, and you could say, I can't, I can't disagree with it. Like, yeah, and it's probably right. Like, if you say it, I believe you, son. There you go. Earth history. Alternative earth history. So 450,000 years ago, Mm -hmm. Sitchin says that Nibiru's atmosphere is eroding. Mm -hmm. So they wanted to come down to Earth, get the gold, fix their atmosphere. So they create what's called Earth Station 1. So this is near the waters of the Persian Gulf to to, to extract the gold. So here, it's what what is known now as Iraq and Iran. Mm -hmm. So the Persian Gulf... It's like Sumer, Mesopotamia, Babylon, that that kind of um, cradle of cradle of existence, cradle of life, of civilization, of, of, of civilization. Of yeah, the first like proper settlements. Like, this is pre Egypt. This is pre Inca, pre Mayan. Like this is like the oldest civilization that you're getting, right? Mm. That, we can, that we can that find. we can find. Yeah. Right? Mesopotamia. There was these huge cities, like huge cities built. And, and what was this area called to the Anunnaki that arrived here? Earth Station One. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. That's that's what the the name is translated by Zechariah Sitchin in his cuneiform writings, right? So uh, Sitchin claims in from his interpretations of the writing that in this ancient Mesopotamian fertile crescent, around four hundred thousand years ago, there's a functioning spaceport where these Ijiji, which are uh, a breed of slave people that the Anunnaki brought to Earth to be able to harvest this gold, right? They're exporting the gold off the planet. So the Ajiji are digging up the gold, putting them on spaceships. Spaceships are flying them out from these uh, cities in Mesopotamia. These spaceports. These, these spaceports in Sumer in Mesopotamia, right? Uh-huh. So And these Ajiji, these are 
and uh, these are these are extraterrestrial visitors to the uh, planet. Yeah, they're like genetically created slaves from the planet the and, and from 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 the from the bureau, from the bureau right? And they're you know bigger than humans would be, and they have you know a bit of a feisty nature, mm. and they eventually try to rebel against their their overlords, right? Mm-hmm. The leaders of these Anunnaki. Uh, there's so many strange and weird names, and and we'll go into it in, in a lot of detail. Like we're just talking about Sitchin in this. And episode, yet, when you hear right? these names, they feel so familiar yeah, as well. At the same do. time, you've heard they them feel before, kind of like Nordic. Like, they feel uh, like they're from Greek mythology. They feel like they're Roman. This is the thing. Like the, these guys, these Anunnaki, live for thousands and thousands and thousands of years, right? So the leaders of these people are Enki, Enlil, and Anu, and these are the Anunnaki, right? Mm. These, anu being the Anu of Anunnaki. He's, he's the bio. He's the top he's the bio. top son. Like the people of Anu. He's yeah, the king. Top okay. dog. Right. So Enki and Enlil are like his 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 lieutenants. Yeah. There's number one and there's number two. Basically. So who's Anu? Anu is... Anu's the top dog. Like he's bio. He's charge. Anunnaki. He's the, anu. Yeah. He's the man. Like key so, is the word for earth. So he's like it's Anu on earth. This is the shit. Like I made this these people. He's the top right? dog. Top dog. And then we have Enki and Enlil. Right, and they're the guys that are put onto the planet Earth mm-hmm. from Nibiru. Mm-hmm. Right now, apparently Nibiru crashed into Earth millions and millions of years ago and smashed off a big part of it that eventually turned into the moon. The the little rock bits that was from that collision uh, is now the asteroid belt between Mars and Jupiter. Nibiru also had a bang into. Neptune at one stage, and there's still a big scar on Neptune's uh, surface from that from that bang. Um, like the stories of Nibiru and the stories of these guys, Enki, Elil, have been all the way through history for like half a million years. So these these guys, these Anunnaki, are living for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. So one rotation or one orbit of their planet is three thousand six hundred years, and that's called a Shar. Right. So these guys live for like a couple of hundred years of their time, which could be like, you know, two or three or four hundred thousand years of Earth time. Right. And in listening to the, the videos and watching the documentaries, reading the literature in researching for this episode, right? And for future episodes about Nibiru and mm-hmm. Anunnaki, like it's huge. This is a small chunk we're doing now. Huge topic. Like what was huge. too big a narrative to relay out in one episode? Just this is about Sitchin, but just to give yeah. you an idea of the shit that he's talking about, right? The shit that he found and in these cuneiform texts. When we do a Nibiru episode, where that information is coming from? Yeah, this is going to be your stepping stone into mm-hmm. Nibiru, right? Like the guys are saying that these Enlil and Enki and uh, Isis, uh, even even Noah. Of the flood, Noah. Uh, all of these guys have have lived for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. They're just changing their names. They're known to different civilizations as different names, but they are essentially the same people. Hmm. Ra, the sun god, you know, uh, he he's an Anunnaki. Like all of those Osiris, Isis, Horus, Horus Marduk. all of these guys, Marduk. He he's the guy who's like tried to take over Earth from. Enki and Enlil, like Enlil is like the the good guy, and Enki is the bad guy, and it's all seemed to be put together by Sitchin in this really biblical esque, yeah, biblical narrative. Yeah. Like there's a narrative to this whole thing, and it's really, really like specifically detailed, right? Yeah, it plays out like a screenplay, like he's like he's adapted it, yeah, for the screen. You, and could, stage. you could watch a movie on it, and I mean Prometheus, the the Ridley Scott movie, 
it kind of has like the first inklings of this story in it. You mm-hmm. know, there's loads of science fiction stuff like uh, Attack on Titan, the animated series. That's this has like elements of the story of Nibiru yeah. and the Anunnaki uh-huh. and this like um, slaves re- rebellion against their leaders and stuff like that. There's there's loads of literature and loads of different stories. Like yeah, it's just so vast and massive and it takes everything in you know so Enki and his sister Ninuzeg who's also known as Isis right we know her as Isis yes. the mother of all right the Hopi Indians call her the, the oh the, not the Islamic state of Iraq and Syria <laughs> no no no, yeah, yeah, yeah. no the, but Egyptian goddess Isis in, in, my, in my research when I was looking up stuff that they're trying to you know sully the names of all of these beings to be able to take the human consciousness away from mm. noticing that that's where we've come from and fulfilling our, our full potential so they're trying to besmirch the name isis by by naming, naming uh, a, a possibly fake terrorist group after it. Oh, isis right mm. so his sister ninazeg created a genetically mutated form of monkey right because the ijiji that they brought from their home planet rebelled and they're they're not following orders and they're not you know they're not doing everything they're supposed to be doing so they need oh, to be a little too uppity yeah them a gg hey gg uh, fucking check yourself like, they get you know, to earth and think oh we're, we're a level above all these monkeys and and yeah. uh homo habilis homo erectus knocking about on earth now so enki and elil want to have uh a nice malleable controllable populace uh, lads are going to do what they're told when they're told right so ninuzeg and enki they they genetically mutate these female monkeys and they make this species that that's not quite human yet, but mm. like humans as we know Something it yet, but it's very close. Akin to Neanderthal, maybe. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit more advanced. So they're they're making these um, nef, nephilim. They're mm. making these like uh, genetically mutated humans, and they name these humans something very recognizable. They call them Adamu. Adamu. Yeah, which is something you might remember from the Bible. What part of the Bible is that in? In the Genesis, Genesis yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. The first man is Adam, also named Adam. Yeah, yeah. Or it's, it's, it's pretty. It's pretty. But again, this is obvious in the Bible that, like, you know, the woman is made from the man's rib, and that sounds like some kind of genetic. Uh, yeah, that's how I was, that like, was. Like I remember when I was a kid, and I heard that in the Bible, and I thought that's such a weird story. It is a weird story. I remember putting my hand up and saying, like, "Yo." Father, we would say to our to our priest who was explaining yeah. the, the Bible to us. Your dad say, wasn't your teacher, like no, no, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'd say, Father, what's going on there? Why, why didn't like why didn't God just make a woman out of dust like He made the man out of dust? Why yeah. you have to make the woman out of the man's ribs? Like I'm sure Adam was standing there talking to God, saying, "I saw you make like a, a, a boar. I saw you make cattle. I saw you make a sheep. I saw you make a dog." And I saw you make the female version so they could breed. And you didn't take a rib out of everything else here. Why did you take in a this garden of Eden? Why are you doing it to me? I don't want some super thin, uh, pasty faced, uh, no crack at all woman that's made out of a rib that's designed like a rib. I want something with curves. I want something yeah. of Why do you make a woman out of, my, out of my butt meat? Yeah, out of my soft, tender butt meat. Uh, but apparently that's what God needs to do. But scientists now, genetic genetic biologists nowadays say. If you needed to to get a full genome mapping of a human being, you'd need their bone marrow to do it. You need the butt meat. <laughs> you no, not quite. You would use ah. the butt meat. You need your bone marrow, and the best place to get bone marrow without damaging a living creature. Ribs. You don't ribs. Ribs. You don't want to take a femur out and crack no. it in half and scoop no. out some bone marrow and try and put it back. You want to take 
a small incision, take a thumb-sized piece of rib and crack it off one of your many, many ribs. Yep. And with that, you have enough to, to fully map some uh, a, a genome yep. of a human being. So it sounds like a medical operation. Yeah, think back to when you first Probably heard that story from the Bible and how ridiculous it sounds, that idea of God taking one of Adam's ribs to create something when he's created the entire universe out of nothing. Yeah. But now he needs a rib to create a woman. But when you think of it in the current genetic terms, that's the best way to, to clone a human being is to take a part of their rib. That's the easiest way. I hadn't looked into that when we were researching this and now that you say it I'm like yeah absolutely that's fucking spot, spot on John like that's that's one of those things that's completely obvious when you say that loud you know? yeah totally yeah this is something that I saw a couple studying this one and yeah it's strange there's so think. many yeah like I mean you, you can see Sitchin's uh, background is like in bible study and in mm. studying like these religious texts and you can see these tropes that are going through these, yeah. you know, leader and, you know, ineffable godheads and these stories of creation. They're all kind of the same, like burning bush and the voice of God. And like we were saying earlier on, you know, the, the Big Bang, the scientific explanation for the Big Bang is very similar to the biblical explanation for the Big Bang. Yeah, I love that that those first few paragraphs of Genesis of in the beginning, there was nothing. Uh, which sounds a lot like a singularity, mm. uh, a point of infinite density, infinite heat, and infinite tininess. But to be to be diminutized into there was nothing because yeah. they didn't know what it was. But there wasn't was nothing. quite nothing. There yeah. was something there, yeah. the singularity, and in a way that's that's like a word, like a word that you can't touch, you can't feel, you can't take it to the bank. But words exist. Yeah, we know they do. I'm saying them right now. You're listening like to an right idea. Now. Yeah, and it exists much like God in a way. It's it's not tangible. It's it's nothing you can seal in a jar but if you believe it it exists and for me that's that's what genesis speaks of at first there was nothing then there was a word that word was god and he said let there be light and within six days seven if you ask him because he's yeah. a humble fellow the entire universe was created, or, or enough space was created in the universe to then begin the formation of planets the matter of matter to create the, the creation of life yeah but it just sounds like that's the description of the Big Bang. First yeah. of all, there was nothing. And then all of a sudden, there was something. There was something. And it only took about a week to create it. enough space-time continuum in which to, to have that existence. But then you said the fundamentalist Christians, like Christian scientists, did it actually only take a week? And they're like, yeah, but we mean a week as in like a day could be a million years. Hmm. It's like, why didn't you say fuck a million years then? It's like, because. Yeah. Because it's more poetic to say... On the first day, he created light and dark. On the mm. second day, he created the earth the, and, the, and the sky. On the third day, he created fucking the, the beast of the land and the, the fish of the sea. And yeah, and the, so he created uh, the Western grip hand job. Yeah. <laughs> the cat, the cowboy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, so we're going back. This is the so point yeah, where we're going back into this this Sitchin uh, narrative of how the history of earth right how it was made right mm -hmm. so Enki and his sister Nenizek so Isis made this genetic form of monkeys to replace the Ajiji as slaves mm -hmm. so it gave them like intelligence it gave them like uh, like cognizance it gave them consciousness it gave them enough intelligence to be able to complete the task like without being micromanaged or supervised totally but also it gave them like a disability in the fact that they could be controlled or manipulated. How they can be controlled or manipulated. There was uh, experts that I was watching online that were saying that like 
the human brain is made up of these frequencies where we can mm-hmm. control how we think and feel or the chemicals that are made in our brain through these different frequencies. Like everything is an electric frequency in the human body. Mm-hmm. So like when you hear, you're hearing that it hurts, you're hearing that an oscillation. When you see, you're seeing like up to a certain range. We can't see infrared, we can't see ultraviolet. Like whatever's going into our eyes can be quantified by a scientific measurement. Uh, our voices that we make we're making a tone that's perceived by the ear and the certain tones that we make like make certain frequencies so everything's done like scientifically everything is based on an electronic or physical frequency that can be manipulated right so they they, they genetically engineered us like this this was Sitchin says they didn't want a repeat of the Marduk led rebellion of the Ajiji. So Marduk, who's also known as the sun god Ra, Mm -hmm. right? Who's also known as a load of other names. But this boy, basically... He was one of the Ajiji now. He liked... Yeah, he liked Earth too much. He wanted that shit himself. He wanted that. He He wanted wanted dominion over the planet. And he was one of these uh, Nibiruites who... Just basically wanted to rage against the machine. He's like, fuck this shit. And he got a, a, an army of Ijiji and tried to overthrow ah. Enlil. And it didn't really didn't really work that well. And they were all replaced with these genetically created humans, right? Mm, so a damn. Sitchin says, between 200,000 and 100,000 years ago, mm-hmm. the Anunnaki aren't very active due to a glacial period. so Which is on record. Yeah, on record in these cuneiform tablets that... You know, there wasn't really much to be done because the whole planet was, like, completely yeah. freezing. But, I mean, the glacial period's on record with the geologists and whatnot. Yeah, I mean... You know, he's not messing about here, Sitchin. That actually it. happened. Um, so, after this, Enlil, who didn't really like the humans, right? Mm-hmm. These really new like, created... Yeah, these intelligent. new genetic, genetically modified, you know... People. They were mining gold, though. These people were mining yeah, gold for... For his planet. For free for as slaves. Still. But okay, still, they were making too much uh, uh, finger quotes noise, noise which is right. what he said. He we are noisy. <laughs> he didn't like the reproductive habits that they were going on with. That Pardon they me? had they had put a desire to orgasm. That we 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 and dolphins are the only species to get a, a, a pleasure chemical pleasure hit in our brains from the having an orgasm, Russia. which is like a reward. For fucking, for appropriating, so procreate and make more of us. So you're saying this was possibly a genetic tool that was placed in us to get us to procreate? Yeah, to make even more of us. So we weren't feeling so to, sensual. Yeah, to be able to work more, to be able to have more people to work. But when more they slaves, left us, they left us alone during the ice age. We started all fucking like rabbits more in the caves, and, and five rolled into a cave, fifty rolled out. Yeah, reckon the gaff. It's like a lot of Brazilians in a flat in Dublin. Five come in, fifty come out. You know what I mean? And the whole and all the walls are rumbling. Yeah. With uh, the sound of yeah. samba drums. Uh so Enlil is bothered by the reproductive habits of all these uh genetically engineered humans. So he he takes basically the Anunnaki are coming and seeing these like good looking genetically engineered women and being like, Oh shit, that she that bitch got some fine genetically modified booty. Mm-hmm. She got some fine ass you know, uh, uh, scientifically engineered titties. We engineered them titties just right. And the Anunnaki lads and, and whoever was left behind, you know, to, to look over them, mm. 
we're we're having sex with all of these humans yeah. and creating these demigods, I mean, creating these Nephilim, creating these giant, you know, half breed men. Mm. The stories of like Hercules, the stories of like Dionysus, these half god men that were legendary for thousands of years, like since they've been alive or purportedly. And to it's be alive. understandable. Like this wasn't a huge like, compliment of of Anunnaki people that came to Earth. And for 300,000 years, they were fucking within their own ranks. Yeah, and breeding yeah. these half-breed, like, uh, uh, original, see, original flavor Anunnaki heads. You see like, these, these, these genetically created kind of human women wandering about, and you think, I fancy some strange. Yeah, I want a bit of I some, can understand that. I want a bit I'm of not, some genetic strange. I'm not, I, I can see where Sitchin's going with this yeah. one. That makes sense to me, yeah. I, I, I would do it. If I'd been fucking ISIS for, like, the last 300,000 years... I'd go pick up a bit of strange. A bit of something, something. Why not? Get to retrieve him. Yeah, a nice human lady. I like human ladies. Yeah. What is the next fella? If I wasn't a human already, mm-hmm. I'd be all like, some Anunnaki bitch came up to me and she's all like, you know, whatever, she's speaking to me telepathically, going like, yeah. hey, I genetically engineered you. You owe me one. I'd be like, gotta do what you gotta do. Gotta, son. gotta pay them bills. Gotta do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Anunnaki be all over you, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So these Nephilim, these giants that were being made, like these like uh, uh, titans, these mm. these godheads, these super strong, you know, uh, super massive warriors that there's proof of, apparently so, proof of these guys. Mm, like, you can see these videos online of giant skeletons and yeah, covered in Peru. Massive femurs found in like road works in Costa Rica mm. like huge weapons that are unwieldable by normal human hands that are like thousands of years old coming from these areas like South Africa ancient Sumer um, uh, Tatar on, on the eastern borders of Russia like massive axes and swords that couldn't be held by human hands that had to have been held by these giants that no, they're inexplicable do you know what I mean so these half breeds these demigods Enlil wanted to put a stop to all of this interbreeding. So he, he elevated the descendants of these unions, these illicit unions between Anunnaki and humans. And this could be the starting of this, like, 1%, the starting of this Illuminati bloodline, this, you know... Chosen people chosen that are people in control. That, yeah. That, but that, would hide their true origins. Yeah, that these guys will be left in control of this planet while... You know, the Anunnaki was still on the beer trying to start the shit out, get the gold up in the atmosphere. So what, what time frame are we talking about now? This is about 100,000 years ago. Hmm. So then it jumps uh, to quite recently enough. You're talking about uh, 13,000 years ago. After after his decision to elevate these lower beings, uh, Enlil is just fed up with humans. He's like, fuck these guys. Like, hmm. I, tried to, I tried to give him some, you know, slack. I, I elevated a few of them up to manager status from assistant manager. So they'd be less annoying. They're less, less annoying. Loud. They'll know, like, they'll know their place. They'll have they the stupid spoilers around. and mufflers on their cars. So he just wants rid of them. Mm-hmm. He wants to get rid of all of these people. Nibiru is just about to make another swing around, right? Mm. This and is the passing of, of their home planet coming close, which, if any planet passed close to Earth, would, would fuck us up with, with tidal forces and yeah. with cataclysmic weather events. It's going to change the poles, mm-hmm. uh, make a polar shift. And, and this apparently happens every so often. You know, every time Nibiru comes through our solar system, it's not right next to Earth. Hmm. It's hitting at the outskirts. Uh, it's hitting out by Uranus and Neptune. It's, you know, it's not coming by Earth every time. And the idea of the polar shift, this is like... But this polar shift I, has been a this thing is confirmed for information in the scientific yeah. community is that 
the earth has suffered many polar shifts in yeah. its history. And it's had these, like, uh, they were looking into ice samples, like deep core ice samples, right? Where they have these um, metal fragments that are in the water, in the ice, right? And they're going down like thousands, thousands, thousands of years. And the magnetic poles of the planet, which are determined by the metal molten core, right, mm -hmm. are changing. The tectonics are changing. And they have proof that the poles have changed from these uh, metal shards pointing in certain directions. And then all of a sudden, they're all pointing in a different direction. And then all of a sudden, they're pointing in another direction again. And this is going back hundreds of thousands of years. So every so often, there is a polar shift. There is a a, a movement, a tidal wave, a cleansing, let's mm. say. Um, you imagine the north comes to south, the south comes to north, and the magnetosphere does a complete spin. Yeah. Uh, at, at those times, then, the Van Allen belts, the, the magnetic protectors of the radiation of the sun mm -hmm. become inoperable for mm -hmm. a certain period of time. As There's, the tidal wave changes happen, the ocean waves, conveyor stops. Like, it's basically like a self-cleaning oven. Mm. that all of that stuff stops the sun is able to get in and blast a few bad rays burn up whatever shit needs to be burned up fire cleanses all and all that crack and yeah if the wood becomes too wild burn it down yeah, start it again down, if, do the whole thing. if the rivers are polluted wash them clean sorry. so Enlil wants rid of all this stuff he he makes the leaders that he'd elevated to a leader status he makes them promise tidal waves and floods and you know Nibiru passes by, the whole thing gets wiped, and this is what we know as Noah's flood. Mm, the right? great biblical the great deluge. Biblical flood. So Noah, this, this deluge, this flood is mentioned in a lot of different religious texts. Yes, the cleansing. Mm. Um, Noah was one time. of the Anunnaki. He was named, you know, in these cuneiform texts, and he apparently, like, you know, you don't. How believe... was he named? What was Noah's Anunnaki name? Zeozadra was his Anunnaki I like name. It. Yeah. A lot of Z alliteration. They're all very kind of um, makey uppy. Yeah, but they, they like I said, they, they they all but they sound either connected to like Egyptian or that one especially sounds kind of Mayan or Incan kind of connected. Yeah, they all you know what I mean. Like they, if you think of all these these names, these leaders, these uh, civilization names, they're so is... they're so alien to what we know as a name. Mm. It's like you know using our consonants, using the sounds that we make. Like how do we know that that his real name wasn't like. Uh, yeah, you know. but it's just spelt Zeozadra. Zeozadra is how it's translated from cuneiform. Mm. Who's to know that he wasn't even just called like? Actually, I, yeah. But I feel all the names kind of feel kind of familiar to yeah. me at the same time. Like like a like a knowing, like a, an ancient knowing. Yeah. So Zeozadra, otherwise known as Noah, is is tasked by Enlil to build a ship, and after the flood, uh, Enlil gives man the gift of farming and the gift of command over wild animals and the domestication of animals for farming purposes and stuff like that so it's like whoever survived right uh which was not a lot of people right so noah and his family and a few bit a few bits and bobs the one percent also yeah the one percent basically also uh noah's tasked with taking the genetic samples of all the best animals uh, from the planet at the time and you know trying to repopulate and stuff like that so uh, the the two by two story of Noah taking all the animals onto a boat two by two yeah I mean in essence yeah it could be done it's a pretty big fucking boat yeah it Watch may also movie. have been Steve Carell got it done he Steve did, Carell yeah. got it done but really what he was doing was taking these genetic samples yeah. on board and 
was so instead of two of every animal, it was it was the genetic code of yeah. every animal, of a male and female of every animal. Was the ship a real ship? Was it an actual boat on water? Was Mount Ararat not like a spaceport that they took off from? Uh, you know, all of this stuff is in, in the itty-bitty details of the yeah. Anunnaki story. So that's basically like Earth history according to Zechariah Sitchin. Like yeah, that's from just then like, on, from, from the Noah flow, they're the more interesting parts of what happens. To yeah, them. yeah, they're the more interesting parts of it. Like they're the more, you know, they're the big, the, the big milestones of Anunnaki history that Zechariah Sitchin came up with and said, mm. this is how Earth was made. And everyone went, are you fucking for serious, <laughs> dude? And he's like, no, yeah, that's, that's how it is. But when he's looking, when people who found those texts first were looking at them, they didn't know what an alien was. They had no idea to do something living on another planet. They didn't even know what another planet was. They there was knew... no UFO rush in the mid fifties. Yeah, like like Galileo Galilei, like looking out, going, "Yeah, there's Mars and there's this and that." And astrology and astronomy were hand in hand, nearly. Yeah. These things that were hanging out in the sky were like these, you know, wonderful. Uh, uh, godly celestial bodies and stuff like that that they didn't know that there were actually planets that had stuff on them that you could go there and yeah you know and that they were on one of those and if someone was on that star looking back at them they'd see the same thing yeah it's not it's not it's so romantic now when you think about yeah. it but it's not like only it's only a small time before that they thought the earth was flat and here be dragons yeah do you know what I mean so so a few people think Sitchin's insane with these ideas but where, yeah, where's he backing this up with where, where's this coming from well he, he he finds all this information in these cuneiform tablets right right so in 1895 sir austin henry laird found twenty-two thousand mm. clay tablets uh in what we know as ancient sumer in mesopotamia mm. it's iraq and iran now that kind of middle eastern area right? between the two this, rivers yeah, the Euphrates and the Tigris. And it's in the southeastern part of that mesa, that, that bit that joins Asia to Africa, right? Mm-hmm. And he finds these 22,000 tablets and they're all covered over and they're all laid out nice and neat. And apparently these tablets have writings on them that depict every part of history and daily life for an ancient Sumerian. Right. They have maps, they have descriptions of like day-to-day diet and um, medical treatments, astronomy, history, do you know? Uh, everything, like an almanac yeah. of Sumerian times. Everything. And it's all in this cuneiform. Of what, at the time, to those people, and truly was, the greatest civilization ever known. Yeah, well, they made this writing system, right? And it's one of the earliest writing systems, and it's made with like a stylus on wet clay. Right. So it's clay everywhere. You get a tablet of wet clay... Just get a big lump of it, flatten it out. Like when you walk past a nice fresh piece of uh, concrete laid down. Yeah. With a few signs around it, you think, stick your fucking... I'm going to write my name on that Stick your paws in it. Yeah. Yeah. This is what they did, but... These guys had this lovely, like, uh, alluvial riverbed clay, and they'd take it out, this lovely red clay, and you'd flatten it out, and you'd scrape a few yolks into it, and leave it out in the sun, dry dry up, and, you, you know... It's a piece of paper that can't get destroyed. Then it's there for a couple of thousand years... And some bio comes and finds it, and then a fella tells lies about it. And even if they're cracking half, you just stick them back together, and they yeah. still read the same. It's, well, yeah. it's all scratches. It's a, it's a genius piece of uh, chicken scratch. Piece of writing. That's yeah. the way it is. So, cuneiform started off like very primitively with these pictorial letters, and it was more like it was more like hieroglyphics. It was more like pictures, and eventually evolved into this 
um, really quite complicated picks and swipes. So there's like with the stylus, it makes these little triangles. So there's triangles and then there's like these swooping, sweeping shapes made with these dots, whatever. So it's all from these pictorials and the, and the pictorials for the Sumerians, essentially, and for the same with the Egyptians and stuff like that, it was for this pretty advanced society. So they were taking care of records of farm uh, profits, um, animals, stock, sales, taxes. taxation, of course. Yeah, taxes, big time. Taxation. All your business practices. Uh, and then what tributes they gave to the gods and who was the most generous and they would get the most favor and stuff. So, I mean, like, this is a time when apparently they were living with their gods. Their gods were walking around with yeah. them going, give us that. And they'd have to be like, no, oh, I have to mark that off the stock. And this yeah. kind of stuff. Or um, anting up gold, of course, which was always needed by the gods. So this is this idea of, again, if you think back to when you were young and you were learning about the Bible or whatever your chosen religious text was, or somebody else's chosen religion text. That was, imp- that was imposed on you. Yeah. But that feeling that you had of, isn't, isn't my God so needy? Isn't he <laughs> yeah. incredibly needy? He for needs to be to all All the powerful, time. omnipotent yeah. being. He really doesn't want me looking at anybody else. He doesn't want me thinking about anyone else. He just wants me thinking about him and praying to him all the time. Just paying, paying like. tribute to him all the time. But that sounds like an Anunnaki leader. It sounds like they yeah, just but at least at least the Anunnaki were around walking around amongst you going, True. love me, rather than like leaving a, a 5,000 year old message to love me. And then you're like, well, I am loving you, but you're not really sure. You're not me. loving back, yeah. You're not, I, you're not even saying that you're getting that love. Whereas if we know anything know? about the Anunnaki is that they were more than happy to love humans back. Yeah. <laughs> Big time. Right from the back. Yeah, all up uh, the back. <laughs> so they, If only they'd have pulled out and gone all up the back. Yeah, no, there'd be no uh, well, a GG G-G rebellion. Yeah. So the children were sent to what's called an aduba. To mm-hmm. become a scribe. So it takes like 10 or 12 years to learn how to be a scribe. It was the same in Egypt. It's the same in, you know, uh, other ancient civilizations where, you know, some people were tasked to be laborers. And you don't really, you know, you're from, mm-hmm. you know, and That's some people were tasked to be like priests. And the priests would then go off and spend and devote their life to studying how to write. Like the monks uh, in Ireland would give up their whole lives to learn how to write and draw their inscriptions on vellum and stuff like that and it was like really intricate and hard heavy work and they did it powered by Buckfast mm-hmm. and fair play to them yeah. but like these kids were giving up their whole lives to learn how to become a scribe and learning this cuneiform so these tablets were found in the ground and were written in this like pretty untranslatable text but what was handy was that there was also a dictionary given with these cuneiform tablets. Mm-hmm. And the dictionary was Sumerian and Akkadian. And the Akkadian was able to be translated into ancient Greek. So people were able, they basically had like a 60,000 word dictionary to transfer all of these cuneiform scratchings. Mm-hmm. Like this, this is a Rosetta Stone kind of situation. Yeah, it's a Rosetta Stone for ancient Sumerian. The ancient Greek went back to the ancient Akkadian, which then went back to the ancient Sumerian. Yeah. And by kind of triple translating, you then had your translation of the ancient Sumerian. Now, you did have to go through two other languages to get to what this cuneiform tablets were saying, mm. which is where the disparity lies in exactly. the translation of Zechariah Sitchin's third-hand translation. Yeah. In your first-hand translation, that's 
prone to errors. Yeah. And that's where Sitchin steps in. He says, I can see errors dotted all over the situation throughout these translations of these Sumerian tablets, these yeah. third-hand translations. Based on his, like, self-taught knowledge of ancient Greek and ancient Hebrew and stuff like that. Mm. So he's able to he's able to see, yeah, that's that's translated wrong. And one of the major things that he found was wrong was the translation of the word Nephilim. Yes, this is from Zachariah Sitchin himself. This is where he sort of comes into this world. This is where it really takes him over. He says, starting in, much like me and you, starting in, in school, learning about the Bible, yeah. and he was told about the Nephilim and how they were giants, the sons of God, and they were giants that walked among the men. And he just felt something didn't sit right with that. Uh, that he didn't like, why, feel. why did the giants walk around amongst men that's... yeah why would there why would there be giants why would the sons of gods be giants why would there have been giants on the world and they're not mentioned anywhere else why would they not have found some evidence of these giants he just didn't believe that this was correct that these Nephilim were giants motherfucker never seen a basketball match he'd never seen one in his life not living in in, in, in Palestine but ha- realising that or, or believing that this was a, a incorrect information he, he surmised that it must be an incorrect translation and, and he therefore, went, he went to correct that, and therefore sought about correcting translations from then on in. Having Zechariah Sitchin never watch a basketball match living in Palestine, it's trying to lead me towards a joke about the Tupac movie Juice to try and get some kind of Jews joke out there. Oh, it's a tricky one. Yeah, Jews, 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 Jews. Jews. There, oh, they just yeah. can't put my finger on it. So, well, I wouldn't let you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Zachariah Sitchin yeah, this wanted was, to prove these translators wrong. Yeah, this was his, like, his, his first real passion was yeah. to find out who the Nephilim were and what they were all about because he didn't believe they were giants as was translated through the Bible. Um, he concluded that similarities he could see between the, the stories in the Bible, in Egyptian history, in Greek mythos and other mythologies from around the world. He saw this one kind of single narrative where these rewritten stories and rewritten fables and ideas that he believed all came from ancient Sumer. He believed that Sumer was the starting point of all of this. Yes. That, all that, of these religions. The, the all tales, the myths, the stories of Sumer are ones that were just reappropriated into the Bible, into the Quran, into the Egyptian beliefs, into Greek beliefs, into Roman beliefs, into everything. Well, if you've ever watched Zeitgeist, you can see that that, like, you know, these stories do the get recycling recycled. Of the story, yes. They do get recycled. Yeah, and that, that's something that's absolutely possible. But when he, he looks at this, he thinks... Like, there is an Anunnaki name for Jesus. I can't put my finger on it right now. We do it in the, in the Nibiru episode. Mm-hmm. But, like, Jesus is claimed to be... Yeah, he's an Anunnaki. He's yeah, like, they recognise that guy as one of the one yeah. of their own. Yeah. And it was at this point, then, he's, he's looking for this true translation of the Nephilim. He believes it, it stretches back to ancient Sumer, is where, like... He, the Scooby-Doo gang he's traced it all the way back to yeah. ancient Sumer so at this point he begins teaching himself how to read the, the tablets um, now when I was reading about that that particular like motivation in Sitchin was that he and this is part of the debunking of, of him as well that his his naysayers would say yeah look at man you're, you're stretching that shit out like too thin right yeah so Nephilim is from the Greek for giant mm. right and he misrepresents the vowels in the word Nephilim and Nephilis, Nephili, to be Nephili or Nephili with an E instead of an I, mm-hmm. Nephile, uh, changes the vowels to suit his own narrative and ends up translating from 
ancient Sumerian, into Akkadian, into Greek, the word for to fall. So the the ones who fell. Yes, the Nafal to fall. The ones who fell to earth. And then it's like, yeah, these are aliens that came from somewhere else to earth. Rather than giants, he's like, Nephilim are the gods. They're the ones who mm. came from... They fell from the heavens. Fell from the heavens. From the but, but he's he's inferring that. He's putting that on to that. Yeah, he's stretching a little. He's taking it. And, and, if and you, that's where his his naysayers and his debunkers yeah, if, do pick him apart with that kind of stuff. Like That's his problem. Is his kind of his, his supposititious mind, his, his ability to... Yeah. To see something and say, well, I don't believe this answer fits. So does this answer fit? Creates one out of the, well, not out of the clear blue sky, but creates one that doesn't have a lot of base to it. But because it fits, says, well, that's 100% the right answer. So I'm going to lock that one in and move on to my next question. My next he, mystery. It's, it's his interpretation of it, though, because he's looking at these texts anew. He's mm-hmm. looking at these texts in a way that nobody would have looked at them before and anybody that had looked at them before wouldn't have had the information that were at, that was at his disposal in the late 50s and early 60s. Mm, like, I mean, pre-1930, we didn't even know there was a Pluto. It wasn't a planet. Do you know what I mean? Like, how are we supposed to know that Nibiru is out there behind Pluto, behind this Kepler belt, behind all of these other planets that we only see as a tiny little speck? Mm. Do you know? But, there's no There's no satellites. There's no way to be able to get... They didn't even know, like what colour Neptune was. But in these Sumerian texts, it says, you know, the blue giant or whatever. And it turns out that, yeah, Neptune is the colour blue. blue when you know what I mean? So it was his interpretation using terms like extraterrestrial, which we never heard of before Roswell in 1947. And there was no such thing as aliens before, like, science fiction. But we're talking mid-60s. They're already bringing out movies about, like, aliens and just comic books and science fiction is rife all over America. Sitchin is living in New York. And then he's learning how to read these ancient texts and going, wait a fucking minute. All of these stories that these lads are telling that I'm reading sound a bit like aliens. So he could have just been the first nerd, the first science fiction nerd, who was, you know, qualified enough to be able to go and get his hands on all of these. Where, where you can see connections to be made, yeah. I mean, like I said, these are, these are all like new interpretations of existing information that's out there, of these existing tablets. But I think the problem that debunkers have with Sitchin is his ability to make leaps of logic and his ability to just say... Like he freely admits that he went looking in the Sumerian tablets for reference to the Nephilim and for something that he could then connect to the Nephilim because yeah. he just straight up believed the Nephilim couldn't be right. The, the 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 translation of it and the understanding of it in the Bible just cannot be right. But his naysayers are saying that in these Sumerian tablets, there is nothing linking Sumer to the Anunnaki and there's nothing linking the Anunnaki to Nibiru. He, he really he really stretched out the meanings of these things to, to make it fit his narrative. And he he got eight books out of it. Like, Yeah, eight books, eight companion novels to each each book. Uh, stretching from 1976 all the way up to the last one that was released last year in 2014. Zachary he Sitchin, died in 2010. Yeah, unfortunately he passed in 2010 in, in his home in New York City. But uh, his last book before that was released in 2007. But his family continued his work and released the final Earth Chronicle series, which was uh, 2014. Last and year. you know what? I hope when he died that his spirit went into the ether and he got to gain all the knowledge that he searched for his whole life. Mm-hmm. And that's what I hope for when I die mm-hmm. is that all these questions that I've been asking, that I will eventually get an answer to them. We could see them in our lifetime, Paul. You never know. 
Nibiru could, could be, arrive any yeah, time. There then. could be coming over the next crescent moon is is you know the shadow of Nibiru and and with it all the answers we've been looking for our whole lives mm-hmm. and the aliens that you tell the jokes to in empty rooms. Mm-hmm. You'd be able to meet them and they'd be like, "Jesus, man, you're fucking hilarious." Yeah, Do you know what I'm saying. You got it right. You got it right, man. You knew what we were there. We've been listening to you the whole time. You know when's the Christmas special coming out? Mm-hmm. Do you know what I'm saying? But one of his biggest uh, uh, naysayers. Uh, this is this is a quote from Hafernick, right, about Zechariah Sitchin and and his ability to twist definite evidence and be mm-hmm. able to twist uh, uh, previously translated texts. He says, he's let us know he's going to twist the translations around to support his thesis. Indeed, a reader of Sitchin's book would do well to keep a couple of Bibles handy to check up on the verses Sitchin quotes. Many of them will sound odd or unrecognisable because they've been translated from their familiar form this is made harder by the fact that Sitchin rarely tells you just which verse he's actually quoting. This would be much more acceptable if he wasn't using the twisted translations to support the thesis that has led to these twisted translations. So he's 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 really like feathering his own bed. Like he's mm-hmm. he's he's making it so that the evidence where he's getting the evidence from, he's the source. Yeah. So he's quoting himself as a source, but the source that he gets it from is already a known source. Do you know what I mean? The mm. first translations of these uh, tablets after Sir Austin Henry Laird found mm. them, they were translated almost immediately with these uh, dictionary, dictionary the dictionaries that were tablets. found. He, he, he's saying, yeah, it's a real source. They're coming he's from saying he's using place. that source, yeah. but he's using his new translation yeah. of that original source. Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah. So, I mean, like, is he believable? Does he have other people that are saying the same thing? Yes, absolutely, he does. Yeah, he's got some. He's got some people on his side. There's sort of a an exciting boy band of pseudoscientists <laughs> out there. Uh, they could really be called the the Earth History Five. Um, Zach Sitchin and the Earth History Five. Yeah. The the gentleman we're talking about. Is, um, all of these guys are going to get featured in either future episodes or or have their own their own episodes. Uh, we're talking about people like Eric Van Daniken, the Chariots of the Gods. You would, have, you would have heard of him if you, you would have heard of him. In 1968, he releases the book Chariots of the Gods, which is uh, goes on to be hugely, hugely famous. He is known as the godfather of the supposititious leap. Uh, no one is better than Eric von Anakin for taking a small piece of information and then twisting it to fit his own narrative and then presenting that as as gospel. And I presume... Even Zachary, gospels he could present as gospel. Z- yeah, Zachary Sitchin was buoyed by the fact that there was already somebody out there who was putting out these ancient alien theories yeah. and that he had spent the last 20 years researching this stuff. Like, Charge of the Gods was 68 and 12th Planet by Sitchin was 72. So, I mean, it was, it was a time of, you know, exploratory science where people yeah. were going, what the fuck is actually happening? And people were putting out this crazy stuff. You know, this is, a, this is in a world like post- JFK's assassination. Mm-hmm. This is in a world like Eric Post Roswell, post yeah. many, many UFO Eric sightings. Von Daniken is just about he releases his book just before like moon landings when yeah. space fever, alien fever, like space travel. People were people believe all over the, the UFO US, sightings like, were huge. People believe the aliens were literally gonna show up on the lawn of the White House yeah. any minute. It was it was a it was a fever pitch. Mm-hmm. Between that and and the fear of war uh like communist threat on the doorstep, nuclear war, like they wanted any kind of a an escape or a, a feeling of this cleansing, a feeling of this like this alien force would come down and just like wave a magic wand and peace would be on earth. 
living in an atmosphere of constant fear, fear mm-hmm. of your neighbor being a, a red-handed commie, uh, uh, you know, if you did that wrong, someone would accuse you of being a commie. It was, it was really like it's dark times. Yeah. Dark time in America, like, and yeah. to have this kind the of fear of just like to have this release, destruction was over your head all the time. All the times, all uh, the but time. to have this release to go like at any moment, these Anunnaki could come down and free us all from this existence. Yeah, and this is all a big pantomime being watched yeah. from above. That when the moment's right, they'll come down and say pause, or or to believe that they they wouldn't let us destroy ourselves with nuclear weapons. They'd mm. come down and, you know, just stop us yeah, before we, we got too silly. You know, that's, the, that's the child running with scissors, you know, yeah. as a planet. We're like, someone's going to stop me. Crying out for our absentee father to come back to us. Yeah. Please, daddy, listen. Yeah. No. No, I created you. I mean, oh shit, no, I've answered you now. <laughs> so, Never who, supposed to hear the answer. So that's, that's Eric von Daniken. Who else is in the pseudoscience uh, fight? The, the next man you would have heard of on, on, on this list would be Lloyd Pye. He has a, a somewhat almost identical uh, view of history with uh, Zachariah Sitchin. Mm. The only place they kind of differ is just on on basic generic timelines. He believes that uh, Neanderthal man was the one that was genetically modified, that Neanderthal to Cro-Magnon man is the uh, Anunnaki genetic modification. Right. Uh, where Sitchin believes it was earlier than that. It was from, it was from Homo erectus to yeah. Neanderthal man that the genetic manipulation came other than that, they're pretty much running along the same lines. But I see like the, the, the Neanderthal man as like almost a monkey. Mm. And then these, you know, lithe, brown, Middle Eastern people mining for gold, like seemed a lot more advanced, you know. Indeed, yeah. Uh, next up on the list, uh, man we've mentioned already, David Icke. Uh, again, he cites Sitchin in a lot of his, his lecture tours and a lot of his work. Um, but he says he, he generally disagrees with his astronomical assumptions that he doesn't believe there's a Nibiru, he doesn't believe there's a, a elliptical planet crossing through our, our yeah, solar I don't think David Icke cannot believe in anybody, to be honest. Yeah. Like, if anybody says that, and David Icke should be the guy that fucking believes anything that anybody says. True, exactly. Yeah. Did, he, what leg does he stand on to say that someone else is less credible? On his weird, invisible reptilian leg that he believes that he might have. Yeah. He was right about Jimmy Savile, though. <laughs> but then so was I. I said Jimmy Salvo was yeah, a scumbag with 50 years ago. Graham Hancock. Have you eyes? <laughs> yeah. Just look Have at you Jimmy ever Salvo, seen? Like. Uh, but uh, another man on the list would be Graham Hancock. He's uh, a famous enough fellow. You may have heard him on, on Joe Rogan's podcast. Uh, he's uh, an Egyptologist and historian. Uh, but also there's someone who likes to visit ancient sites around the world. Places like uh, the Yonaguni ruins underwater in Japan. Gobekli Tepe was recently uncovered in Turkey. These are all ruins and ancient sites that he believes could be a lot older than any of us have ever. Well, believed. yeah, I mean the the Romanian cave systems that's under you know uh, underground in Romania, like that that are that are more than ten thousand years old, and there's huge underground cave cities in Romania mm. that Graham Hancock talks with, about. like incredibly yeah. made uh, air conditioning systems, yeah, that like, like the air phenomenally and stuff. advanced like yeah. stuff. Uh, Gobekli Tepe as well, like it's it's. In Turkey, like that's like a serious mm. civilization going and, on there, and, old, and as, as old as anything that's been found on Earth, yeah. and that's that's just from carbon dating from the soil that was used to fill in the settlement, and also not from when the settlement was built. His theories about like the change of the polar shifts and stuff like that, where he's saying like the improvements of the doors that were on certain temples and certain ziggurats and stuff like that, that they they changed where the door location would be, and mm-hmm. you could see from. The, ar- the archaeological excavation or whatever that the door had been changed you know to let the light in at the different solstices so that the, the polar shift had actually occurred 
say for example Newgrange in Ireland if if they were like re if the civilization was old enough to be able to rebuild that after a polar shift to go like okay the sun's going to come in here now like so something like the door would be on the other side yeah it'd be on the other side because the sun would be coming from rising and setting or whatever you know so yeah there is a lot of these guys another one that was one of my favorites coming up uh, was anatoly fomenko who's a russian mathematician so he claims that history is wrong basically and Everything we know is wrong. Everything we know as history and as humans is wrong. He doesn't go back to the ancient times or he doesn't go back to like ancient aliens or anything like that. But he definitely says that modern history mm. has been manipulated, has been changed. Yeah, modern history. He's talking from the dark ages on. Yeah, but not maybe not for nefarious purposes. I don't think he has any accusatory, you know, revelations like that's going to... Mm. Not that anything's going to be hidden in a suppressed... Yeah, or... Throw blame on the Illuminati or whatever that they're trying to control us. But it does seem that history has been kind of manipulated. Mm. And Well, that we accept the word of whatever historian from yeah. a, a thousand years ago that happened to write something on a piece of papyrus and we just accept their word as, as gospel. Well, if, the, if, you know, if you find something that's supposedly really old and it has a year on it, who's to say that that's the actual year it was made? Yeah. That's the thing. He He says that there's suppositions and assumptions made on artifacts and timelines from different sections of the history and he showed them through like an accidental mathematical discovery initially and then later on after like deep investigation he shows them to be falsified or doubled up to elongate the historical human timeline hmm. so for example one of them was like um byzantine turkey and uh middle ages england that there's a timeline of about 200 years that's almost identical in the names of the kings, the, the the amount of children that they had, their length of reign as king, and their method of death, or their their the cause of their death. That is all documented with like royalty, and it's almost like a carbon copy. And they're about five hundred years apart, and they span for two hundred years. So that's like a whole history of one part of the Middle East, and then a whole that was just brought to another part. Yeah, of Europe and a whole section and, and recycled. Yeah, they think it's because of the movement of historical records from England to that area, like with Constantinople and all being warred over and stuff like that, uh, that they would bring their history to the place where they were trying to mm-hmm. trying to fight for. And then when they retreated, they just left it there. And then when it was found in that place, that it was just assumed that that was the history of that local area or whatever. He or says what we see in like, the, the idea of the palimpsest, they do that, uh, be it Egyptian hieroglyphics, carved into a wall or a Sumerian uh, tablet or a piece of papyrus with some manuscript written on it that it's it's a known thing to have happened throughout history that uh, Egyptian leaders would have take uh, a piece of hieroglyph saying such and such built this yeah. temple and then just tap 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 and change it to say I built this temple yeah. and the same thing would happen in manuscripts and that dates wouldn't be changed and, or dates would be changed and names would be changed here and there and you have the same piece of information then just recycled later ahead of time when it never really happened yeah it's, it's, and it's but it's a known thing that happens mis- in yeah, history loads it's, of mistakes but, but historians and archaeologists and stuff like that are not really they're not looking to upset yeah, the apple not, they don't they're not looking to, to they rewrite to, all their books. Yeah, and and Fomenko wasn't a he wasn't a historian; he was a mathematician. He was shit what they were saying, but he's like now completely blackballed in the scientific community. They're all like, "Oh, this fucking guy coming in telling us all this bullshit." But you know, he released a whole se- a whole series, history, fiction, or science, and you know they're long and they're sometimes complicated, like. 
the third one, Fiction or Science 3, could be read as a book cover to cover. But like one and two are almost just like reference texts. Like they're really, really, you know. Not much to be Yeah, read. They're, there's no meat on it at all. It's all very kind of referential. But that kind of talk and that kind of, you know, thinking. That, new thinking, yeah. yeah a new, new way thinking, of approaching something. That everything that's ever come before you is possibly wrong because it's built... It's like a house on matchsticks. Yeah. It's built on the wrong information. Yeah. And this is where... Half a million years ago, you started from the wrong point yeah. and you've ended up in the wrong point. Basically. Like, I think this that, that's Sitchin's saving grace is that there are so many dudes that are coming at the same time. Like, Von Daniken and Sitchin came up in their fame, like, almost Identity, parallel. Yeah. Like, you know... Saying similar but slightly different things. Yeah, and I think Von Daniken is getting an awful lot more cre- credibility among the scientific community mm. than Sitchin would get. Sitchin yeah. gets, has a lot of names. He gets a hard time, yeah, he gets a really hard That's time. That's because I think he was kind of a mousy chap and he didn't he didn't really fight, fight back, back super hard. Like, he did debate and there's, like, loads and loads of videos on YouTube of him giving shit to these guys who were saying he's, he, you know, he's, he's telling Porky Pies. He's like, no, my life will tell you now that this is the way. And he's just, like, real calm but yeah. still, like, biting and just like, no, I fuck tell you now this the way it is. Nobody messes with Von Daniken. Like he's, he's he's a tough guy. He bring you out the back of the restaurant and box yeah. the head off you. Like he's I wouldn't been, mess he's with been him. in prison. I wouldn't mess with guys. Yeah, I wouldn't mess with him. Long time like, in prison. He knows what the crack is, you know. Yeah. So Sitchin's naysayers, his debunkers, the people who really are trying to say, yeah, this guy knows nothing. Show me some of his uh, credentials. Show yeah. me his qualifications. Show me why we should believe him. And one. One of them is Michael Heiser, mm. and you know he's grand. He's in, he's he's grand chap to watch. He's yeah. like as entertaining as any entrepreneur. He runs the website uh, sitchinisrong.com. dot com. Yeah, it's a bit. It's harsh. It's a bit accused. It's harsh. Right? It's a bit harsh, man. Like, and I, I don't believe Zachariah Sitchin or his estate ever sued him or anything like that. No, but just sure, let him out. How, how how could he? He's he's working on stuff that may or may not be true as well. Yeah, there's like, no corroborable. So, yeah, I don't think Sitchin was into that. I think he was just into writing a few books and trying to. You know, make a few pounds yeah. as any scientist, or possibly just trying to get the word out on what he truly believed yeah. to be. So, Michael Heiser, important information, is calling him out publicly, basically yeah. calling him a bullshitter, like making jokes about him at these conferences. And people claim that Sitchin makes a lot of stuff up and that he has no basis in fact for his claims and that his language skills are in question. His techniques for gathering information have been put into question, and. He's even been accused of being a fiction writer, like we said earlier on, like L. Ron Hubbard or some H.P. Lovecraft or some, you know, somebody that makes up a whole history. It'd be yeah. like, it'd be like as if J.R.R. Tolkien, mm. the writer of The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings, not told you that if, was real. If that was taken as like he found these historical texts and wrote The Lord of the Rings based uh, on uh, book series based on real historical artifacts yeah. that he found that were written in Elvish and he was the only one that could that could <laughs> decipher Elvish because yeah. he found some like, he, weird uh, dictionary he, he found a yeah, dwarvish uh, dictionary so yeah. he, he, he translated the Elvish into dwarvish and then tra- translated that into Mordor language and, and then Mordor into ancient Greek yeah and then Miss, and then he Miss contacted Zachariah Sitchin and asked him to translate yeah and book. the three him and Eric Van Daniken all sat around and were all like hmm Liv Tyler I think should play yeah. To play, yeah. Uh, well, C.S. Lewis took acid in the background. <laughs> it just seems like, you know, 
a kind of a fiction, like a really awesome science fiction world where yeah. everything is taken care of, like a Battlestar Galactica, Star Wars, Star Trek, you know, super detailed yeah. fanboy run massive world that's super detailed and everybody's history yeah. has like a backstory and it's all boxed off and it's all and if it's all from one dude's brain and if Zechariah Sitchin is on his deathbed roaring laughing roaring laughing that everyone is like oh my god they fucking believe me I don't believe yeah. this is awesome like was he a millionaire when he died do you think yeah. from those books millionaire as fuck I'd say yeah right he roaring laughing yeah. Getting his dicks up by science fiction groupies and being all like, oh yeah, you can Anunnaki this all on night long. <laughs> like, giving it loads of shit. Like, like Sitchin was getting it on. Like, oh, I'm sure he was, yeah, yeah. And roaring laughing, if it was fake. But if it was real, he was like, brilliant. Everybody knows about it. And I'm confident enough in my findings. I don't give a fuck what naysayers say. Yeah. But this Michael Heiser was giving him, giving him awful, awful guff. Both barrels right in the, uh, in the said, gooch. That he is the only source, Michael Heiser is claiming that Zechariah Sitchin is the only source on these translations of cuneiform tablets in the modern day. And 99% of people couldn't contradict him on it, which makes him a questionable source in itself, that he's the only source. Yeah. But then Sitchin is claiming, like like in that quote that you said earlier on, at no time do I invent my own source. Yeah, I know that, Zach. But you didn't invent the tablet. You didn't invent the tablet. You but didn't you invent are, your translation, though. You are interpreting it from your own point of view, right? Mm. Um, Michael Heiser goes through this, and he's he's like a, a, a cuneiform translator as well, and he uses this Akkadian dictionary to be able to translate these texts, and he says that there isn't one line of text that says at about Nibiru that has nothing linking the Anunnaki to Nibiru, and... Heiser is using those dictionaries to decipher the markings on the tablets and he claims the Sitchin is inferring way more than is actually there, which which could be done. But who's going to read a real clinical textbook? That's why Fomenko, with his history, fiction or science, isn't as famous or his his name is not in the mouth of as many people as Zachariah Sitchin's name is. Eric Von Daniken. Because he's too clinical. He's, he's telling an you entertainer. To go Von Daniken's an entertainer. Yeah. yeah. Graham Hancock is an entertainer. Because no one's going to swallow that science without a bit of pizzazz, man. Yeah. There's no business without the show. That's why they call it show business. These boys know what they're doing. They're making coin. And I'm sure there's loads of scientists that they're getting their information off of. They can't talk in public because there's some weird social disorder where they're really good at researching, but they're shit at talking to people. Yeah. Or they don't want to see their funding or whatever else dropped from yeah. beneath them. But what what Michael Heiser does, and there's a whole there's a whole website dedicated to... Zechariah Sitchin's full of bullshit. And I think it's a bit harsh, but there's loads of <laughs> information in it that can be verified. Like, when you're watching Michael Heiser in the video, he is he is your only source. He's your mm-hmm. only opposition to Zechariah Sitchin. Like, when you're watching Sitchin in the video, Sitchin is your only source. So, you question your sources. But one of the things that kind of clenched it for me that, that, that Sitchin was maybe inferring a bit more than was there is this cylinder seal. So we've all seen this cylinder seal with, with relation to the Anunnaki, right? Um, it's the one where there's two humans and they're coming towards what is the depiction of Enlil, uh, who is basically handing the knowledge of farming to the humans. And between the two heads of the humans, there is what looks like 
the solar system, the sun and the planets all around. Mm -hmm. So this is where we get the prediction or the confirmation that the Sumerians knew about astronomy. They Mm -hmm. knew that there was planets out there before they could view them. Like we can see Jupiter with the naked eye. You can't see Neptune. You can't see Uranus. You know, uh, unless you're looking really close. Hey! Hey! I, I went the whole show with it. Yeah, we that. said Uranus like seven times. I can't believe I didn't time. say that joke. Uh. So they knew about that. They knew about Pluto even. And we didn't discover that until 1930. Mm. And then the 12th planet, including the sun and the moon as planets, which they did in ancient times. So it was like sun, moon, the nine planets, and then Nibiru out the back, bringing up the rear. And they're on this. Now, this cylinder seal is called VM243. Mm-hmm. And this is the most convincing piece of evidence from Michael Heiser, where he says, this cylinder seal, you rub it on, you know, a piece of clay or whatever, and it imprints this picture. And this is the one we always see Zechariah Sitchin holding up and smiling with the thumbs up and all. Uh, the seal is 8,000 years old, right? Mm-hmm. It was kept in the Museum of West Asian Antiquities in Berlin for for years and years and years, the, the imprints of which have been seen, like, through all of these Nibiru and Anunnaki myths, right? But the seal... The translations on it actually say nothing about Nibiru. They say nothing about planets. They say nothing about Anunnaki and they say nothing about ancient aliens. In fact, the thing that we think is the solar system is not the solar system at all. It's just a random design, right? That the star that was supposed to be the sun is not represented in the same way on any of the other inscriptions or depictions of the sun. So the sun is normally uh, a diamond shaped and it has three wavy lines coming out from each of the the gaps in between the diamond shapes, right? Mm -hmm. So this was a star. This is just one star in the sky and it had like little bits around it where we measure the little dots and we say, yeah, the planets are represented by size and by distance away from the sun and it's really accurate representation. Or are we just inferring that? Because we want to believe that that's yeah. true, and that was the biggest, that was the biggest piece of evidence for me that Sitchin was maybe inferring a little bit too much. But I still like, I still like his stuff. Yeah, you know? I th- like. Hydra's a big critic of Sitchin's, and he really goes after him hard. But he <laughs> he loses his own credibility with the the amount of vitriol that he spites towards. Yeah, him. he really doesn't like him, man. Yeah, really doesn't like. Yeah. Um, and to make a whole career out of debunking someone who's made yeah. a career out of making stuff up. Yeah, but if you look at it, like website, he's he's, he's, he's like, mean, to, yeah. rude to everybody and to anybody that talks so. Yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it. He kind of shows the the same classic style of kind of closed off mainstream science mind. He's just as he's just as out there as Sitchin. Yeah, and most of the debunkers are. It's just that Sitchin doesn't weigh in with exactly what they believe so it's just like you know uh, Lutheranism is to Protestantism you know Shiite Muslims are to Sunni Muslims like it's basically the same Very stuff but just thing, yeah. you know slightly different belief structure yeah. and if you're not in you're out you know if you're not on you're gone and yeah, you don't exist I, I, I think Sitchin gets a bad rap and since his death and since he's not able to defend himself anymore or further his work or continue his yeah, research. There's a lot more people coming out against him now and saying, oh, fucking bullshit, bullshit, bullshit. Yeah. Don't see nothing. Nobody saying nothing about Eric Van Daniken because he's over to your house and he boxed the <laughs> yeah. That's why. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> exactly. Like, no one's saying he's full of shit when he 
quite, is way more full yeah, of shit. Quite obviously is. Yeah. But like, oh shit, now he's going to come over to me because box the head off oh, him. But seriously though, Sitchin, my minor team, I've always liked the Anunnaki story. Whoa, I've always liked whoa, the Kamiru story. Are you getting off the fence before I said off the fence? I'm, I'm just I'm just putting out the props to Zach Sitchin. Why not? Z Sitch. Yeah. In his house. I've always liked it. This is before we go off the fence, so I'm just letting you know where I'm mm-hmm. I've always liked it. I've always liked the story in the Biru. You get off the fence first. I want to let you know my feelings. Uh, Paul, let me think. off the fence. Zachariah Sitchin and his works therein. Uh, do I believe his theories of possible ancient alien astronaut ancestors that had some hand in our genetic makeup? Yeah, I can see that. Um, do I trust the intricacies <laughs> of uh, the narrative that he's put together and the the bits here and there? I don't know. As you said, there's 22,000 of these Sumerian tablets. For all I know, every single word that he's said is is true is somewhere in those tablets to be found and to be inferred. I doubt it, though. Yeah. I'd be amazed if he hasn't put his own bent on some of this most. information or most of this information. <laughs> if he hasn't... I mean, it just seems that every time he searches for a piece of information or makes a breakthrough, he's gone in there with a very, very specific agenda. Yeah. And whether he's come out with exactly the answer to that agenda or not, kind of doesn't matter because he's gone in with a very singular view of what he's looking for and he knows, and he knows know, what he's what the what the end goal is yeah and he's going to get there and he's going to get he's going to find the information to get there and ignore the information it's not which as we all know is the classic way to get things wrong mm. um is was Zachariah Sitchin wrong was he embellishing was he uh, creating a little more drama and a little more color and flavor than was actually there yes i believe he was did he do that for money yeah i probably believe he did uh, did he do that to get a dick sucked? Yeah, he probably did. Probably. Fair play to him. Uh, but does that mean that there are no aliens? Does that mean there is no Nibiru Planet X? Does that mean that perhaps ancient Sumer and, and Egypt and other lost civilizations of, of mankind knew things that we don't know today? I fully believe so. Did they know things about astronomy and about moving giant fucking stones <laughs> things that we can't do today yeah I yeah. think they probably did because you can see them those giant fuck off stones there yeah in position and Still. you think I don't know how we do that today let alone how those motherfuckers did that then yeah without any tool marks or anything I don't understand is there a lot there to be questioned absolutely 100% yes is Zachariah Sitchin the man or was he the man to get us all the answers no I don't feel he was mm. was he completely full of shit no, I think he really believed in what he was doing. But I think that he probably convinced himself that his method of just supposing from and, and finding whatever the first answer that seemed to fit all the, the boxes, that must be the correct answer. That's not the right way to go about doing anything. And that seems like that was his set way of doing everything. From all reports. From all reports. I would say no on Zachariah. I don't know, but in my heart, yes. And our alien ancestors. Cool. Gordo, would you like to weigh in off the fence? Well, I'd say now, straight up, mm-hmm. fucking aliens, mm-hmm. they'd be real. There you go. In my heart, mm-hmm. I've always known, felt like I'm being watched, felt like, not that there's like a plan for all of us, I want to sound like Forrest Gump, now, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know if we're floating around on the breeze, like, but this world is too perfect 
to not have been manufactured in some way. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I know we're off doing our own thing for like a certain amount of time, but like reading up on Fomenko, which is really like clinical and uninteresting. Like it's a chore to get through that shit. Mm-hmm. But the information is invaluable. And I tell you now, the first boy that's going to be able to take all that information, do all the work that Fomenko did, and be able to put it into a palatable book, the way Zechariah Sitchin did, with all that cuneiform stuff that people had gone before him and said, this is what this is, and this is the history of this part of the world. Like, Sitchin got that and went, wait a minute, I can make some fucking money out. And he was just as much of a, a novelist and a science fiction writer as he was an archaeologist and a scientist. Mm-hmm. And when you marry the two of them together, you get a really nice product that you can sell. Because there's no point in doing all the science if no one's going to buy it. It's still a product. You know, when you get when you get a research grant that someone's paying you to do research to give them an answer for a reason, be it economical, be it commercial be it you know uh, uh, for the advancement of your country or for medical science it's it's all like paid for like you gotta mm-hmm. fucking gotta pay the bills there's man. an agenda somewhere that money's coming it's coming with strings nobody's out there researching something just to know mm. do you know what i mean really like if there is yeah. if there is I, i'd love for the the listeners to give me an example or email an example i'm sure i'm going to get a shitload now from the people who are like um AIDS, and I'm like, yeah, so that you know, they can find a cure and sell it to people. people, But not even sell it to people, but like, but are you talking about are you talking about people that are out there searching for information, but not getting a lick of a penny for it, and still doing it all the time? No, they are getting, they are doing it for that. But I'm saying that it's more, it's 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 more than just like doing it for the love of the information. It's doing it for a purpose, like mm. like Zechariah Sitchin wanted people to know that yeah. that that was his life's work, like was getting through these cuneiform tablets, translating that shit with a modern slant so that people could understand it, putting it in a package that would go down nice, like a spoonful of sugar, mm. and it'd help you understand what was happening. The first boy to do that with Fomenko's stuff is going to be a millionaire. Von Daniken's able to do it with his stuff. He's able to come on. And he's able to talk on TV or or on podcasts or whatever he's on and be able to make people listen to him. Carl Sagan is able to do that shit. Stephen Hawking can't even talk and the motherfucker is entertaining. Mm-hmm. Like he people listen to his his weird robot voice. They do. And, and they, they love it. Yeah. They love it. Like if you've ever watched that uh wormhole stuff with uh morgan freeman yeah that's really really heavy science that stuff yeah but the reason and all block capitals the reason that you're able to listen to it all and pay attention and the information goes into your head is because somebody really talented wrote it into a really palatable script and got the most entertaining voice to speak all of that script for you to listen to it like Nobody be listening to that shit. No layman, no walking around the street Joe is going to be listening to all that stuff about wormholes and time travel and, you know, extra dimensions and stuff. If if it wasn't Morgan Freeman going, you know, the black hole. Nobody gives a shit about penguins. Yeah. Do you know? Until Morgan Freeman told you to. Watch those motherfuckers for two hours walking around in the snow. Like, (laughs) it's not interesting. But now it is. 
So it's the package. It's all about the package. I believe that Zekarisic can definitely put his own slant on it, definitely put his own little, you know, little spank on the information. Mm. He possibly could have, like, ignored one part of information to make his calculations or his suppositions correct and maybe added in a little something that changed a little bit just to, you know, make the square peg go into the round hole. Yeah, you do that, you do that. Mm-hmm. That happens. It's it's bad science. It's bad practice. Will there be a whole arm of the scientific community that will build their empire based on his false findings in 200 years? Quite possibly. But who didn't do that 200 years ago? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. 200 years ago, there was people cutting people's arms out and putting hot jars on to suck out the blood poison when someone was sick. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And now putting leeches on your balls and stuff because that's what they thought was the best thing to do at the time. Like sexually? <laughs> oh, no, for medically. Like, yeah, for medically. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Putting leeches on your balls because that's all they knew what I'm to not do. Gonna try that. Because they didn't have, like, laser tools and they didn't have the knowledge of, you know, on the modern technology that we have now. So Zechariah Sitchin took an ancient text that was looked at with an ancient point of view and put a modern slant on it. And I said fair fucks to him. Yeah. And he made a million pound and fair fucks to him for doing that too. You're saying we always take a fresh look at science and technology, but never at history. Yeah. So why not? We should not, like, just because history is in the past, it doesn't mean it can't change. Boom. That is a good quote. That's a really good quote. From Gordon and those conspiracy guys. Yeah. Are you sure you didn't steal that from Zachary? I'm sure that didn't come out of nowhere only in my head right now. Boom. That's what Zachary Sitchin never said. What did I just say? Just because history's in the past doesn't mean it can't change. That's that's what it is. That's what it is. And that's why I believe in the spirit of Zachary Sitchin, R.I.P. Mm. And his willingness to be able to freaking bring the goods to the show. Bring the goods to the big show and make people pay attention. And his name is now synonymous with ancient aliens. And that theory that thousands of people are into. There's loads of videos on YouTube. And all of them are stemming from the findings and the impetus of Zechariah Sitchin. I definitely believe that there are ancient aliens. I don't know if it's Nibiru. I don't know if it's Anunnaki. I don't know if it's that. It seems like a nice, you know, bow on the yeah. on the It'd be mil- great to know that we had boxes, the last situation. half a million years of alien history mapped out. Yeah, if we knew exactly what had happened, but I don't think any of us are going to know anytime soon. Hopefully, in our lifetime, you know, yeah. in the morning, the bureau could come over the rise and all our questions would be answered. It's, new, it's, it's like that moment when the, the spaceship shows up in Independence Day. It's like Jesus, now we know. The bottle. Now we it. know. Hopefully, that day will come soon. I do believe that. You know, we were manufacturers, and I do believe yeah. that. And the cataclysmic uh, weather dish. events that will come with it. We hope for those, too. Well, you know, fingers crossed that I won't yeah. die. And I can or that you'll be a member of the 1% that that's, that's, that's... I would definitely want to be basis. a member of the 1%. No, you won't be underneath the international airport. Look, look where we're at, man. Living safe and pretty. Look where we're at. I'm not going to be in office like that. Yeah, we're going to get washed away here. Uh, yeah, Zechariah Sitchin, much love, and uh, I appreciate your efforts. But I don't fully believe... That everything you said was true, but I fully believe in your spirit and your tenacity. I mean, there's a lot of information we're giving out on TCG, and we have to <laughs> imbibe all that information, run it through our filters, and then bang it back out to you lovely people. So hopefully this wasn't too much of a, a head melt with all the names and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But Zechariah Sitchin definitely is up there in the Conspiracy Theory Hall of Fame, mm-hmm. and we're glad to be able to do a show about him. 
he's one of our player profiles yeah. that we're going to be introducing in this year's uh, Those Conspiracy Guys. Canada. He's one of the must-know people. Must-know. Yeah. Uh, this is a nice little background into our Nibiru episode. Uh, in the meantime, you should be looking up stuff on Nibiru. Yeah. Check it out on YouTube. Planet X. If that, if that planet shows up before we can get the Nibiru episode out, we'll you'll raging. feel like a fool, will you oh, not? We'll be raging. Could, we could have made a million. Yeah, but uh, it's not the first one. Um, so thanks for listening, everybody. Mm-hmm. That's this. It's been fun. That's this show for you. Yeah. Zechariah Stitchin and the Anunnaki. Guess what? We had an episode where nobody died. Oh, wait. <laughs> he did die, but okay. not by any weird means. Yeah, he wasn't murdered, nothing. Yeah, yeah. Rich, Just happy. Old, rich, old, and happy. Yeah. Fair play to him. Yeah. So, I all it us to do is say good night and God bless. And I hope Nibiru doesn't show up before we do our, our <laughs> Nibiru episode. Yeah. If we get trumped by a giant planet fizzing through our solar system, uh, we're pretty pissed off. We should yeah. have seen that coming. Yeah, we really should. Yeah. Uh, well, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. I'm Gordon. I'm Paul. Goodbye. Join us next time 